Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I have a very special guest joining me from Colorado. I have Chelsea Kent, who started an organization called Food Regulation Facts. Chelsea, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. I, I enjoy being here. I appreciate you taking some time out to tell our listeners, readers, viewers a, a little bit of, more about why you decided to start this organization. So back up and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing with this organization. Yeah, so Food Regulation Facts is actually something that I started after attending a couple of APCO meetings and really realizing that there's a lot of people in the industry that don't have a voice for what's going on in regulation. So uh, what I really specialize in is collating and distributing information that is really difficult to find <laughs> and really difficult to understand if you do manage to find it and distributing that information in a way that is relatable and meaningful to other people. And then, um, you know, I really have a focus on consumers for one, but also for independent retailers and the staff that work in those stores because those are the people that distribute the most information and they have the, the biggest access to the most people. So they're a huge focus of mine also because I own my own retail store. Yeah. And so I can only imagine, Chelsea, that your learning curve, when you, I'm sure when you started your retail store, you already knew that, you know, you were going to be selling better quality foods and foods that had transparent that were clear with transparency and that you trusted however i can only assume that your i don't want to say learning curve but your educational curve on just how dirty the pet food industry is i the more that you have dug i know the more that you have discovered and so um, I guess my question is, when I say why is this platform mission so important, I know why it's important, but why don't you share with us a little bit about what you've learned on your journey so far, because it's been eye-opening for everyone. Yeah, I think that what I've learned the most, that's the most impactful and in some ways depressing, but also empowering in the sense that if you know it, then you can do something about it, is just the importance of understanding regulation and how that applies to the products that you're actually looking at. Because sometimes it's not actually about whether or not a, a label reads really well. It's more about the fact that the company is capable of getting away with things without you ever knowing what those things are. So sterilization is a really good example. A lot of people are looking for sterilized products right now because the FDA has this huge focus on raw food is dangerous and kibble is not. And so kibble it sterilizes through the process of cooking. So if you're going to buy raw, buy a sterilized straw. But that also actually creates a lot of freedom for a company to take product that is contaminated with something and run it back through the machine to re-sterilize it. And obviously, like the better way of going would actually be for a company to just not use that or to source well enough that they don't have to do something like that and lose money if they aren't doing something like that. So that's just one example of a million of why looking at regulation and the loopholes and what, what companies are actually doing behind the scenes and how it is that that's affecting the products that are available on the market. 
So Chelsea, if you, what do you recommend for pet parents who are maybe just learning that they are, they were feeding a food that was tainted with pentobarbital, or they just realized that the quality of the food that they're feeding isn't up to par. It can be overwhelming to know even what questions to ask. Where do you recommend people start when it comes to educating themselves? Or what questions do they ask their manufacturer? And how do they go about getting that information? There are so many online blogs these days that provide a basis for getting those questions. Um, you know, you're a great resource. Uh, I think that what's really important is going around and learning from other people what questions that they've been asking because like every time that you learn one thing then it opens the door to learning more things and the more things that you learn the more questions that you know to ask so um, as an example I had a a uh, raw food company tell me one time that the vitamin E that they use is sourced from Kenya because it was the only place they could find a vitamin E source that wasn't made from genetically modified soybeans and preserved with propylene glycol. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> I never would have known that. That's just something that the company offered and now it's something that I can ask every company where do you guys get your vitamin E what's it made from are you preserving it with anything so just the more questions that you ask the more questions that you learn that you need to ask so you can start really basic and you can grow your knowledge pretty quickly even if you don't know what questions to ask it's almost impossible to say just ask these questions because there's right. too many things there's so much knowledge that's available if you just feel comfortable getting started with any question whatsoever. <laughs> so the key is just start digging, just start educating yourself, just start the process, which I think is really good, really good advice. When you started, uh, when you started your platform, was there an underlying, were you caught up with a melamine issue? I mean, was there an underlying reason or did you just had you just fed up as an independent retailer with poor quality products was there an, a reason behind you deciding that you needed to have a platform to be able to share this information with you know when I started my store um, I had been in the industry for several years but I had actually started working in holistic pet supply stores and so it was an extension of that but my store opened about two months before the melamine recall really blew up so there it obviously became a huge platform for me of educating people including myself about what was really going on behind closed doors and over time it's progressed into just a deeper understanding of what that looks like and it's it's not easy <laughs> to really stick to your guns and uh, continue to provide the things that you think are the most ethical because a lot of times even the products that I really like the things that have yeah. been my favorite period of time, those companies change, you know, a company can sell, a company can uh, have hard financial problems and decide to cut a corner. Like you always have to stay on top of everybody to say, what are you actually doing? And then you can make decisions on them. So as a retailer, it's pretty common that I'll 
drop companies that are even my personal favorites because they just really aren't in alignment with my values anymore. And that's something that consumers need to take away as well is just because you've always loved a product or it's always worked for you doesn't mean that that product that you're buying today is the same thing that you got six months ago or six years ago or 10 years ago. I have people all the time that are like, eh, my dog was fed, you know, X brand for 15 years and had a pretty good life. Yeah, but 15 years ago, that product was a different product than it is now. And so how do, how do pet parents or owners, how, do, how are they aware that some of these issues could be going on? Sometimes I think, you know, there could be quality, there could be a change in the quality of the raw materials, ownership can change, manufacturing facilities can change. How do you, are you just asking those questions directly to your, to the manufacturer? How, how are you, how do you become aware of this information? Mm -hmm. So taking a step beyond the label and looking at where is the product available and how widely distributed is it is a really good way to have an idea of what's going on with the company. Because if you're only looking at a label, you can compare two different things and they can look very similar, but the sourcing's really different. If you go beyond that and you say, well, this product is only available in these small stores and this product is available everywhere, how is the company capable of supplying enormous amounts of people without having questionable sourcing, at least to some degree? So taking that into account, and if you are looking to buy a product that is pretty well known, call the company and ask them questions about their sourcing. Where are you getting this? Are you getting it from the same place every time? Are you using meat brokers, um, you know, how do you manage the quality control on mass production? Yeah, so those are all great questions. And I think the average consumer does not think about picking up the phone and calling the customer service number. But me having done that, I don't know about you, but I have been shocked at the number of consumer specialty, whatever, who the customer service people who have no, who can't answer a single one of those questions, not a single one. And then they tell you, you know, that, you know, I'll get back to you, but of course they never do. So that probably is a pretty good idea right there. If you're calling customer service and they can't answer any of your questions about sourcing, that probably is a tip off right there. Mm-hmm. I had a company one time that I called that I just was asking, where do you get your chicken? And the woman said, well, I don't know where we get it, but I know it's good. Right. How do you know it's good if you don't know where yeah. it comes from? <laughs> yeah. So actually, that's a really good, for everyone that's listening or watching, if you're like, you know what, I'm going to just do a little investigation and see uh, if the customer service people know much about their products, that's a great question to ask. Where does your meat come from? You know, where is it sourced? That's a that's a great step number one question. So, uh I just have to ask because I know that you are research sleuth of all sleuths. In fact, you have done more digging than anyone that I know into the dark corners of the pet food industry. What are some of what's what do you think is are some of the most shocking things that you have personally discovered that the average pet parent maybe doesn't know about? Is there one or two things that come to mind where you think you know if people just knew that this was going on, they would have an entirely different opinion about the foods that they're feeding? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, distressed and salvaged pet foods as ingredients, that's horrifying. So the fact, like I had mentioned, where a company can take 
a product that's bad for some reason and they can just manufacture it into new product that's horrifying to me I can't believe that that's allowed um, another one that really gets me is biodiesels a lot of people tend to think I'd say most people <laughs> tend to think that pet food in most cases is the byproduct of human food waste so in some cases you might be getting something really fresh but in kibble they're not putting in like fresh steak into a product along with all these whole food ingredients that you'd get at the grocery store but what they don't know is that the source of that stuff generally is from other industries like biodiesel and oleochemical and rendering so biodiesel in particular that one uh corn gluten meal just is mind-blowing to me because i was like 15 years into being in this industry when i realized that corn gluten meal is actually not even from the same industry as corn meal so corn meal is like ground up corn. Corn gluten meal is a byproduct of ethanol production and for it to become corn gluten meal they extract all of the starch which is a fermentation and chemical process. So what that leaves is a high protein residue and the majority of the nutrients that are left in there are actually from the fermentation not from the original product itself. And for them to do that, the chemicals actually make it so that corn gluten meal is, tox is classified as a toxic chemical substance by the EPA. So that, and it has multiple antibiotics. There's so many things about it where that's just one of several ingredients, but that one in particular was the first one that I ran across where I was like, okay, I've heard that stuff comes from biodiesel before, but to look at a specific product and say, not only is this horrifying that this trash, literal trash, is being used in pet food, but this particular ingredient is actually in a lot of prescription pet foods. Wow. How is that? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think at least people will say to me, and I'm sure that you get this all the time, well, how, how can this be legal? I mean, I think some people think that, that passionate people are are sensationalizing some of these topics when because I think people's statement is, is well how come how come we don't know about this how come the the world isn't talking about this how come only a few select individuals know about these things that corn gluten meal is, is this this toxic byproduct I think actually it could be it has some herbicidal properties as well I think that corn gluten meal can be used uh, for herbicides but I think people's biggest shock is why are so few people knowledgeable about this and why isn't why aren't more people talking about it and I think the next question is well if it's so unsafe why is it being used in pet foods those are all logical questions but I think that the average consumer also doesn't know about how some of these AFCO ingredient definitions aren't even made public that that we're not even aware of these AFCO ingredient labels. So maybe you could touch on that. Explain to people why you know this stuff after digging that most people, most pet parents don't know about these things. And why is that? Mm -hmm. So the primary reason that it continues to be legal is because uh, dry kibble is so heavily processed and canned as well. So so if you take something that's pretty toxic and you cook it and process it long enough, then it does eliminate the majority of the toxins, but it also creates other toxins and things that we know to cause cancers, things that we just know for a fact can cause endocrine disorders. So it, it's 
in the mind of regulators, I guess, just like, well, it's not a horrible issue because we got rid of the first thing that was in it. The next thing that makes it um, legal and not well known <laughs> goes back to money and politics and looking at the bigger picture. So when a consumer is buying a product, they're actually looking at, is this going to be something that's going to benefit my pet? But when a regulator is looking at an ingredient, they're thinking, well, the country produces a lot of this and we don't have a place to put it. The landfills cost a lot of money or they won't accept it because it's toxic. It would cost us a lot of money to do these other things with it, like compost it, um, enzyme treatments, all of these things. But rather than spending money on putting this ingredient somewhere, we can actually put it into this industry where it can make money and just burn it down till nothing is left. So I do see the difficulty from the bigger picture where some of these regulators have come up with these ideas that they're, I don't think that they're ethical, but I can see how they came to those conclusions and they're really not going to resolve themselves until they're given a solution or until consumers are knowledgeable enough to say, well, I'm just not going to use that and it's not profitable anymore. Yeah, it's true. And so Chelsea, if people wanted to learn more about, about your food regulation facts, where do they, where do they go to? Because I think that, I think that what you're providing people is education that could be shocking and alarming, but it's going to hopefully empower them to want to do more research. Where, where can they read more about some of these facts that they probably aren't aware of? Where do they go to learn more uh, about your organization? Yeah, so foodregulationfacts.com, and then I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. I also work with a lot of other amazing people in the industry, so you know, going to truthaboutpetfoods.com or... Um, you know, a lot of the blog pages, like I mentioned, Keto Pet Sanctuary, a lot of my information actually gets spread to those places. Those platforms are really good <laughs> um, places where the information is really applicable to what they're doing. So just shop around, look up my name, Chelsea Kent. <laughs> if you yeah. just put me in online, a lot of times you'll find articles in a variety of different places. And so then one last burning question. Um, if you could relay one thing to committed pet parents who maybe are just now figuring out that they've trusted brands that they maybe should not have trusted, or they're feeding a food and they haven't thought about where the ingredients are coming from, if this is brand new information for a pet parent, what would be that one thing that you would want them to know? Um, I would say you should probably shop small and rotate often. So if you're getting stuff from smaller companies, it's usually better sourced and safer. And if you're rotating really often, then even if there's you know one or two things that aren't perfect, then you're probably covering your bases and preventing issues from those things. Yeah, very good advice. Well, I appreciate your commitment, not just to helping other consumers, identify healthy foods for their pets, but I appreciate your commitment to the entire industry in terms of pushing for transparency and helping pet parents become better, better educated so that they can make better decisions. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Chelsea.